Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to today's fee-for-service dentist podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. Our guest today is Trisha Talbot. She is an expert in real estate, especially for medical dental people. So she's got a lot of insight. She's come at this from every angle, leasing, owning, investing, renting, buying, rent to own, you name it. So we're going to get as much information as we can in our hour. And she's got a lot to share. So she's going to give us some of her tremendous insights. Her company is Doc Properties. She's in the Scottsdale, Arizona area. And she also has her own podcast called Providers, Properties and Performance. Had to double check that. Didn't want to mess it up. As, as always, our podcast is brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. New from Kettenbach. Imagine one product for every cementation protocol. It's now available. It's hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup. So what do you think the name is? Semcore. Cement core. It's great. It's compatible with all substrates and all restorative designs. Experience why dentists bond permanently with Kettenbach's all-in-one adhesive cement core buildup combined called Vesalis Semcore. Call them at 877-532-2123. Talk to Dan and all the great people at Kettenbach. Or check them out on the website, on the internet, Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H-D-E-N-T.us. Sit back and enjoy the show. Thank you. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today we have a special guest. This is someone who reached out to me and wanted to be on our, our show and I thought it would be fantastic. She has a vast experience in real estate and we're going to tap into that and get as much information as she's willing to share and off air, she's ready to talk. So we're good excited about this. Her name is Trisha Talbot. Let me give you a little bit of background on Trisha. Uh, in her experience as a healthcare real estate advisor for almost 20 years, the best solutions are the result of clinicians and investors partnering and collaborating. The result allows patients to receive care 
when and where they need it and investors the returns they need to build and manage facilities. She advises physician owners and investors with opportunities in healthcare, real estate, asset class. Her track record in investment sales, landlord representation, corporate representation, and tenant representation offers clients trusted experience with comprehensive strategies, pricing, market fluctuations, and problem solving that often result in successful closed transactions. Her personal, Trish lives in Scottsdale with her wonderfully patient husband and two gracious children that support her drive to make an impact, helping clinicians share their gifts. So please welcome with, oh, I cannot forget, and she hosts her own podcast called Providers, Properties, and Performance. So check it out. We'll have it all in the links, but please welcome Trisha Talbot. Welcome to the show. Trisha, how are you? Good. Thank you, Sonny. And she's got some roots up in upstate New York, so I felt a little touched there for a minute. I don't, I don't know if we can share that right away, but got a little love for upstate New York. That's good to hear. All right, so tell fill us in. Give us a little bit of your background. Give us where you were, where you grew up, and a little bit about your family background. Uh, sure. So uh, dad was in the Navy in my younger years, and we I grew up in San Diego. And then we moved to upstate New York when he got out of the Navy. That's where he's originally from and uh, family is still there. So um, grew up on both coasts. And But my mother is a native Arizonan and she had moved back. And I was, after college, not going to live in the snow. Um, I'd had enough. So I having that exposure to what it's like to, to not shovel snow in the winter or slip and fall, um, on black ice and all of the goodies that come with that. Um, I decided I was moving out West. So I I ended up in Phoenix, Arizona, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I've been here for well over 20 years and it's home now. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Great. So your dad was in the Navy. Was was your mom, what was her affiliations and what was her backgrounds? Um, so she uh, was a banker and then she um, got into residential real estate. So she and my aunts had a residential real estate firm but when I was doing a career change into real estate, I did not want to go into residential. Mm-hmm. I listened to them argue and quite frankly, lose deals over refrigerators and washing machines and dryers. And um, I didn't want to do that. It's it's a very, I mean, real estate is emotional sometimes in commercial, but it's very emotional in residential because, you know, you're, it's people's homes and such. And I just, I wanted to be in a different sphere. Um, so I was getting my MBA and I did a market research report for a medical office developer that was doing an on-campus medical building. So I did that report and then was hired in the leasing department and spent a couple years there before I went to, uh, third-party brokerage, but still at a firm that just did uh, leasing and sales for healthcare real estate. And 
did that for several years and then went over to a national firm for uh, about seven years uh, until I started my current firm, uh, Doc Properties. All have been doing, you know, healthcare, real estate transactions, a lot for physician owners and and providers. So um, that's how, you know, I've had all this experience helping folks like you with their dental practices and real estate. <laughs> well, let me ask you, with your dad in the Navy and your mom in, in residential real estate, what was the dinner conversations like? <laughs> well, um, they they did get divorced, but uh, oh, it wasn't sorry. because of their their different careers. But uh, so so the my mother got into residential real estate after my parents um, were divorced. So we didn't have dinner conversations about that while I was growing up. But so you're exposed to it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, now, now you went to UMass and it says you majored in journalism. What what was the attraction to journalism? Well, I, like this. I, I, I got you. I got you laughing. It's a good day. It's fine. You can, yeah, you can ask all these questions. You can write a book. Um, so, <laughs> um, well, I went to school and, um, I did not, I was going to major in English, but when I went down the career path for English majors, I thought that I could either continue in academia or I had to at least try to get a skill that somebody will pay me for when I graduate. And so I, I went towards journalism, but I was a bit of an overachiever in high school and went to college with a lot of my general education um, requirements completed for my first year and then ended up uh, finishing my degree. I had enough credits. Well, I had finished my degree um, early, about a year early, but I still needed some a couple of credits to graduate. So I started taking business classes and then loved them but did not want to stay and finish a business degree after already being there for three years. So um, I finished my degree and I did um, a technical writing kind of certificate, which I went into software development first and technical writing is where you, you write the procedures and and like the help um, portion of software. So I did that, but realized that, I didn't really enjoy that. And it was the dot-com era. So I thought that, well, I won't go on any more software development companies and I'll go into commercial real estate. The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long-term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service, starting at only $59 a month. They also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text FEE4SERVICE to 818-489-9823. 818-489-9823. This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit DocSites for more information. Um, so what, what was the trigger for that? Because that's, that's interesting. That's an interesting dynamic. Now I, I think to, cause a lot of times I find your background is what you kind of grew up and you're familiar with, you know, and, and, um, like I grew up, my dad was an IBMer and he, he always would talk about 
you know, go, go run your own thing, go do your own thing, you know, have your hand on the plunger, you know, that kind of thing. Opposite of what he did, you know? Right. And I I see a lot of, like a lot of kids that graduate, my dad's an engineer, they're going to go in engineering. It just seems to be a familiarity. But so did that have an impact on you starting in real estate at least? Well, I think I was, um, you know, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. And so, you know, I really, I, I enjoyed being at software development companies for the speed and the variety of the things that were done. But then, you know, that's also, um, you know, it comes with a price. And then, um, you know, I was going to, I was doing my MBA at night. So um, during the day, I was still working and I ended up, you know, I was, I happened during my MBA to come across this medical office developer. And I did a market report for them and then, you know, got hired into leasing and, and really, um, you know, I, I was starting to think about commercial real estate. I did not know that. So there's like, there's a few food groups of commercial real estate. You can do land, which is basically, you know, going and getting land from farmers and and then selling it to home developers. But that's not the only thing, but, you know, just kind of the generality. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's office, industrial, apartments, um, and retail. So, you know, I did bounce around a little bit, but finally, you know, I realized I wanted to be in office, but I really liked when I was offered this opportunity in medical office, of course, at that point, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I started uh, really enjoying working with these providers, helping them, you know, find space, helping, you know, them figure out, well, the space looks like this, but, you know, you need to move it around for their specific use. Um, they seemed to, they were busy uh, professionals. They needed information pretty quick. Meetings were very efficient and, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of time to, um, I guess, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of time to socialize where, you know, they, they took up a lot of your personal time, I guess was, you know, and they didn't want you to take up their personal time and you didn't, you know, they didn't take up a lot of your personal time and some of these other food groups, you know, I, I think you get caught up in, um, you know, spending a lot of time not doing a transaction, you know, and, and I feel like I, I, I'm kind of more in the consultative sales. uh, And I, these, these, clients really need my help. They don't have the time in their workday to handle typically to do what they do during their workday and then deal with real estate issues. They can, you know, if they're easy, yes, but if they start getting complex, if they start getting expensive and that's what I can help them with, you know, during my workday where I can get them the answers to their questions, send them one email that they can see at the end of the day, they can make decisions and then, you know, go back to what they, I'm assuming they, you know, some of them like the real estate side, but, but really their uh, best use of their time is running their medical practices or dental practices. So with part of the introduction, I, 
you could really see though that you've worked every angle of this representing tenants representing right. landlords representing owners you know et cetera et cetera so i think your breadth of knowledge is going to be tremendous and i want to get into that but you did say something about this and i, I just want to ask you one more question in this vein because you said they approached you a medical a medical office to find them space and then help configure it so they approach they asked you say all right we want to look for it. so so that was your first venture into the medical commercial real estate is that you know my going? first venture was on the landlord side so it was a with the developer and landlord so they owned a bunch of medical buildings but they would still they would still be like hey i need space um mm -hmm. and they liked the location of that building so i would say okay you know how much you know how big a space do you think you need in your case for dentists, like how many operatories do you want? Waiting room? Do you have your reception? Do you need, you know, for, um, do you want an x-ray? Is there a, kind of more of like a quiet room that you need? You know, do you need a lab? You know, what are all the requirements of the space that you need and sort of get an idea of, of, um, how big of a space they need. If there are obviously any existing dental spaces that I could show them, I could start there. If not, then, you know, you get the architect involved, you do sort of a test fit and, you know, you see, you can see on paper because sometimes they think they need like 2,500 square feet and they actually need like 4,000 or vice versa. They think they need 4,000 and they really only need 2,500 square feet. And then, you know, you have to put the, put that together. Once you get an idea of the size of the space that they need, then you need to, you know, give them an offer of what the, the lease rate that you're proposing and what that looks like for them over, you know, the term of the lease that they're looking at so that then, you know, they can do the math on that and see if it makes sense and works with, with their financials. Well, you know, my brothers and sisters in dentistry, we like to squeeze a little bit. We, we don't want to, we, we want to like work and, 2000 square feet, but we'll make it look like it's 4,000 and, and we'll get it, you know, we'll be very efficient. That tends to be, that tends to be our, our excuse, but most times we just don't want to, we just don't want to put that money out. So, so let's start, let's talk about property ownership. Let's start there. So what would your advice be? I'm a dentist, I'm working and Hey, I want to own my own property. I'm an Italian. I want to own my real estate. Okay. So what would you say some of the things that would be introspective to go through the thought process to get to that point? Well, I think location and budget would be two things that you should have at least come to the table to start discussing. You may not get either, or you might get both, but it's helpful to say, you know, I am looking in this area and I'm looking to keep, and if you guys do monthly or annual, whichever way you work, I'm looking to spend this much on, on a, a month on a lease. That gives you kind of an idea to say, okay, based here's, here's what you're looking, here's, here's some of your options. At that point, if you're like, you know, they're, to, you know, whatever your opinion is of those based on what you're looking for, we can then tweak that. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're like, you know, I want to go ch a little bit cheaper, we can show you what that looks like. If you're like, 
I want to go in a di- little bit different location, then we can see what that looks like. But it, it, in this process, we start narrowing it down. You know, it's a, it's a process of elimination. And it also depends on the inventory in your market. So, you know, I know um, with some dentists, I've seen some very non-traditional dental spaces. I've seen some adaptive reuse. I've seen um, con- previously converted uh, residential homes. And then the traditional uh, dental space, standalone buildings. I think a lot of dentists like standalone buildings. Um, so, you know, depending on the, the, the inventory in your market. Now, the most expensive way to do it, depending on how you choose to finance it or refinance it and kind of what your end game is, you know, building from scratch is always going to be the most expensive, you know, finding a piece of land and building it, but you get exactly what you want. Obviously, there's tax um, advantages, depreciation, and everything that make it, you know, pencil. And then obviously, you know, if you are by yourself or you have an associate, I mean, there's different things that you can do to generate the revenue to make it make sense. But the biggest thing that, um, you know, I, I, I think I also enjoy is really what patients are you looking to you know, the location should be dependent on what patients you're trying to access. And then, you know, your real estate for, for dentists and, and medical pr- practitioners really needs to serve the, the patients that you're trying to, to, to help. So, you know, if you're looking, if you're wanting, if you're not wanting to, if you're wanting all private pay, then, you know, you should focus on where that might be. Um, If you're wanting a mix, then, you know, you can locate in a different area. So I think if you start thinking about it from there, often I find where people just say, well, I need to have a, a, a location here. And you're like, okay, well, you know, why is that? And it's like, well, cause I just need to have a location here, but there's, you haven't really maybe looked at you know, where are you getting a lot of your patients from? I would say, you know, take, if you, if you're strategic about this, about where, where are you getting your patients from, then you can actually model the revenue that you're projecting. Cause you might actually be able to locate a spot like on a corner that's going to be a little bit more expensive, but because you've already done the analysis on the revenue that you're going to receive from the patients you're trying to attract and the insurance contracts that you'll you receive that and or maybe you know more cash paying clients you can afford to look in different locations because real estate you know it, it is location location then mm-hmm. you back into you know what inventory is there what is the expense of the options you have available then how much, you know, and all of that. I mean, I think you, you just start breaking it down. What what about the advice? So more of the mindset. So the person, the dentist comes to you, they're they're not sure they want to own. So kind of own versus rent. What what are some of the things that helps? And I and I think it was a very good point about budget and dollars. So what are some of the things that you say, okay, if these boxes are checked, you should probably be looking at ownership. So especially with dentists and, you know, I would say physicians that um, have expensive build outs. So as a dentist, you have mm-hmm. typically have plumbing, you have gases. 
it's expensive. You don't yep. pick up and move. You are there, I would say, mm-hmm. at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to be someplace for 10 years, you have to decide, do you want to pay a certain lease rate? And then at the end of the 10 years, you're going to have to renew. And typically landlords don't like to receive less rent than they did the year before. So you're likely to stay the same or go up. And they know that you're not likely to move. So, you know, they they have a little bit of negotiating power there where you, you end up more, more likely than not staying and, and just continuing that lease. Um, and you also, during that time, you know, if, if there's, uh, you can't expand um, if you, you know, if you need less space, like you can't necessarily it depends on the lease you can sublease sometimes and you can but anyway so there's you you're fixed in that certain location when you buy you know yes you do have a mortgage payment which could be the same as your lease payment but you have depreciation you also have tax advantages you can refinance um if you need to if you're in a like a standalone building and you want to add on to it you can mm-hmm. Um, and it's an investment. It's, you're also, you're also getting the appreciation of the property. So Mm -hmm. all of these, you know, at the end of the day, I think financially from an investment standpoint, you're ahead of the game by owning for, for dentists rather than, um, leasing just because the, the amount of money you have to put into a space to then improvements. Yep. Right. And then mm-hmm. you guys also have the unique um, advantage where sometimes, you know, at the end of your um, practicing career, either, you know, you you hire associates and, and whatnot, or you sell your practice and, you know, the real estate together, too. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is you really didn't talk facts and numbers. You You talked about intangible but really tangible improvements and really to me it was freedom freedom to add freedom to reduce free that's i think that's to me because i own we have five offices i own all five and i i and again it's i, I think it's an italian thing because it's that's <laughs> how i grew up but you know that's that's what i'm exposed to a lot but you know the real estate part has always been that's a smart investment etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think it takes a little bit of a different mindset, but I think you really hit some key points to being flexible. You can add, you can subtract, you can do other things. Do you, uh, can you describe some of the differences that would mean to a doctor, say, from a tax standpoint, own versus rent? Um, so a couple, so, you know, I can't quote rates cause you know, no, all no, of no. that is specific, but just some general, stuff. like general, general things. Stuff. Cause, so cause when, owning, what is the deduction? If you rent the leasehold improvement, is that fully, de- I mean, talk about some of those things. Right. So the first thing is uh, if you, so if you own a, a building, you, you have a lease on it, you write a lease to yourself. So mm-hmm. um, the, what you can do is some of the income that you're receiving obviously goes towards the lease payment, which is not being paid to you as W-2 income. So it's then taxed at a different rate Mm -hmm. because you, you know, you 
so so that's one of the the benefits. Yeah, you save some unemployment taxes and stuff. Yep. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you you get to depreciate the building, so you know during its useful life, and um, and then you know as an owner of a, a building, you get tax advantages there as well. So it's it's almost like you're moving money from high tax income to yeah. lower tax income. Mm-hmm. So that that's super beneficial. Um, when you sell the building, if you do sell the building, you should be paying, I think, long-term capital gains, but there's a ton of ways that you can uh, mitigate your taxes when you sell a building. And there's a variety. There's 1031s, there's, um, you know, you could roll it into different, different, there's life and whole life insurance, then there's trusts, like there's, there's a whole slew of different things that you can do. So I think what it does is it allows you to build the wealth and mitigate taxes in a variety of different ways Mm -hmm. and putting them in lower tax thresholds for you. When you lease when you lease, it's you pay the lease to a landlord. It's just an expense off of your profit and loss. I mean, I think that there are now there's you can do now. I think with gap accounting, a ten year lease is taxed differently. But I I would only start when I start getting into that. Um, I'm not going to help anybody. <laughs> okay, well, just to get just to get a general point. So, last question on property. Then I'm going to talk a little bit more about the renter side. Um, what do you think is key to a successful purchase? We talked about location, right? And you talked about your client or your demographics of your practice. Well, can you just name another one or two that you think are keys to a successful purchase that you've seen? Yes. I think you really need to understand the building that you're purchasing and you have to go through the due diligence. You need to hire a real estate attorney. You need to you know, get a really good inspector. Um, the title company is going to require several things depending on where you live. There might be environmental reports that you want. And while these are all an expense, I would say that it's um, a trade-off of cost because if you don't do these and you get into mm-hmm. a property <laughs> and then you find mm-hmm. out that there's problems and then you have to do them, it might've been cheaper to, you know, end the transaction, or you could have negotiated that the seller do some certain things before you mm-hmm. close. So yeah, knowledge is power. Right. And I do mm-hmm. find sometimes that, um, especially like I see with dentists, when you're buying the practice with the property, sometimes the property due diligence mm-hmm. is not performed <laughs> as well as it should be. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. I hear you. I hear you. Well, it's the practice because the practice is what we, we, we deal with every day, right? So it's easy to right. to digest, to eat, to taste, et cetera. And the real right. estate, well, he did it this way. And then you get in there and it's held together with scotch tape and bubble gum. And you know that 15 codes are broke. And, and because he's buddy with the building inspector, he got away with it for 30 years. And now you're going to have to bring this up to code and change this window. And you need a handicap egress and ex, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Yeah, especially in smaller towns, you really have to know the politics right. that surround the location that you may want. So, 
Right. All right. So let's talk about leases. What do you think in terms of negotiating leases? What do you think are some important points as a renter that I should be looking for? Yes. And you're probably in, and for your audience being dentists, you're probably always going to be looking at at least a 10 year lease, just because the amount of money that you put in, you're going to want some, you want the landlord to contribute some to those tenant improvements for giving them the long-term lease. So would you, so would I you would, success, su- su- would you suggest a 10 year lease or two, five year leases your option? So that depends on how much money you want from the landlord. A landlord's going to give you more with a 10 year lease than two, and a five year with a five year option. Cause to a landlord, all that is, is a five year lease. Okay. So, so if someone be- commits to 10 years, right. then his lease, his or hers leasehold improvements we'll is right. Is helpful or helpful, right. but how, do, how does that negotiate for the talk a little bit about how that works? So you're the owner, I'm the, I'm the tenant. I want a 10 year lease and I'm going to have to spend a hundred thousand dollars in leasehold improvements. How does that work in negotiations now? Well, I would say that you need a really good tenant rep broker because they Mm -hmm. would know what to ask for and ask more for. And um, so if you give the direction to your broker, I want, I don't mind paying the landlord's lease rate, but I want you to get as much tenant improvement dollars out of the landlord that you can. Um, So typically landlords underwrite their properties at a certain lease rate, and there's always an annual increase. typically 3%, but I've seen two and then I've seen four and I've seen three and a half. So, you know, it depends on the property, but typically, you know, for the sake of this discussion, we'll say, you know, on average it's 3%. So they're going to want a lease rate and then they're going to want 3% increases. Um, Now with that, they have modeled in there, especially for medical office buildings an allowance of tenant improvements that they have budgeted to offer tenants. Um, and this, is, and I'm talking about new space. So it's different. if it's second generation space, it's going to be less tenant improvements than building out from shell. So if you're building out from shell, it's more expensive for you and the landlord offers more money. So to, just to clarify that for one second and people that may or may, may not be familiar with it. So when you say this, the, 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 the budget or what's set aside, the landlord says, I'm going to contribute X dollars towards improvements. Correct. Or does he say, I'm going to contribute walls, electric and plumbing and doesn't give you dollars. How do you talk a little bit about that to so someone it really like new? It, so it depends. So typically on second generation space. So if you were to go yeah. into a building and you know, it's, it's already been built out and used for something else, but you're going in there and now you're going to, yeah, it was a coffee shop. shop. Now we're going to make it a dental office. Right. Okay. Well, I would say more likely it's like a primary care office. Cause I don't, I, I don't know. I don't. Anyway, so um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you go in and it's currently built out as a primary care office. Well, it great. It has walls. It has some bathrooms that you'll probably reuse. If there's an office manager, you might you reuse that. Um, if the there's a waiting and reception, you might be able to do that with a little bit different tweak. You'll probably do all new cosmetic stuff, but for the 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 layout, it works. Um, but then pretty much everything else you're going to demo because typically operatories are in open space and, you know, and such, you know, and then each dental office, sometimes you guys all have, you know, you have branding and and all of that stuff. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of improvements, but it's not going to be from scratch in that case, you know, the landlord has budgeted some dollars 
but probably not as much as a shell space. So again, there's different ways to negotiate by either increasing the lease rate a little bit um, to get the landlord to contribute more. But then you also have to say, okay, do I want to just finance some of the tenant improvements myself? Is my cost of capital that expensive where, you know, the, the amount that I would pay in my lease versus getting a loan for, you know, a little bit more of the tenant improvements than the landlord will contribute. You know, you have to, you have to look at all the financial tools that are available from you and do the math to find out what makes the most sense for you. Cause as a, as a dentist, you can get an SBA loan or even probably a conventional loan at, at very favorable terms. So can, it just can, depends. Can so you give like, just give a little example maybe of, of a, of a deal that you've been involved with. Obviously you don't have to give any names of something of how it ran and you just give our audience a little flavor of some of the things that you've seen in this area. Sure. So, you know, for example, um, so a lot of dentists that I have done have been in shelf space, either from location or, um, you know, they have to be on the ground floor. So in a new medical building, for example, typically um, a landlord will reserve some first floor space, one for a dentist, just because plumbing on the second floor and for dentists and gases and stuff is a mess. So, um, so you know, a dentist dentist comes in and they want to lease space. So let's just say that, you know, the, the, the lease rate that's being marketed is $25 triple net with a $50 TI allowance for a 10 year deal. Um, but you know, a couple things can happen if, you know, first of all, I think you're representing the tenant, you go in and ask for more, like, so let's just say six, you say 60, 65 bucks a square foot on tenant improvements right now with the costs, um, it might be a little bit higher, but say $65, the landlord comes back and says, well, you know, if you'll pay $27 and 50 cents, a you know, a square foot, then I'll offer you even like 70. So this is how negotiations go. And you just have to sort of do the math and figure out what you prefer. Do you prefer paying $25 triple net or $27.50? And the difference in TI dollars, does that make sense for you to pay that higher lease rate? What's, what, what's the TI dollars? Uh, you lost me, Ted. Oh, sorry. So so typically for a dentist, I think now, you know, when I first started, I think you guys were about $110 a square foot. It's probably a little bit higher now. So let's say just for the easy math, now it's $120 a square foot. So if the landlord offers $65 or $75 that, of it, That's the cost of, of leasehold improvements you're talking about, right? The whole thing. Yeah. So you do the right, math. Right. By the, saying, the entire, the entire build out, we'll call it. Okay. Right. Let's do really easy math. So your entire build out, let's say is a hundred thousand dollars. Sure. Okay. So if the landlord's going to pay 70,000 of that, then you have to come out of pocket $30,000 of that. Mm -hmm. Now, so, would you so pay, would you pay the landlord or would you pay that over time? How, how would that be negotiated? So that depends. So, you know, again, a lot of this depends. So if the landlord has like, has already contracted with a contractor that, that does work in the building, they're typically going to have a bit of economies of scale. So, you know, all the overhead charges, they can sort of 
you know, spread across, but that doesn't mean that you should all, you should always take the landlords. You know, if you have a relationship like for your, you know, for example, for you, you know, if you've done five build outs with one contractor, they're probably going to be pretty favorable to you. And so if, you know, if you, you should recommend that the landlords still competitively bid them. So bid them out to a couple of contractors. Um, and if you want to put a contractor in that mix that you request that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, now, so yeah. he, they, they say they're going to pay 70,000 of the proposed a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So that means in order for you to move into that space, a hundred thousand dollars has to be spent before you start opening day one. Right. That's correct. So mm-hmm. your options are, I'm going to, take a note and pay you the 30 or I'm going to increase my rent over this 10 year lease. I mean, what are some of the, the ways so that that dentist you, pays that? Yeah. If the landlord has is well funded and capitalized and they can, you can say, Hey, you know, I want you to pay all of it. And then, you know, they'll do some math. Now they can't have a lease rate that is, they can't just put every, they can't just say yes, because the market will only support a certain lease rate. And if they have to sell the building, if they have all these lease rates at 25 triple net, and then they have one at like 35 triple net, an investor is going to discount that because it's an anomaly. And more likely than not, because you have those tenant improvements built into there, you know, they're not going to be able if you were to leave, so this is what an investor says, if you were to leave, they're not going to be able to get $35 triple net for that space. They're going to get 25 triple net for that space. And so, cause there's $10 of TIs built into that lease rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, they'll, they might go up to 2750 triple net or 28 where it's not super high. Um, and then, but they probably won't be able to build $10 in TIs. Some may, some may not care. Some may say, I'm, I'm going to keep this property forever. So again, it depends on the landlord. You know, if you okay. get an institutional landlord, they're likely to, you know, have certain thresholds. If you have a non-institutional landlord, then they can pretty much do what, what mm-hmm. they want. So explain also for our audience, when you see, you know, you talk about triple net leases, Explain to everybody what that means. What's a triple net lease? <laughs> yeah. So operating expenses, I find are, um, it, it's interesting when I, first of all, when I get operating expenses information, I have to clarify that it doesn't matter if the tenant pays it or like when they own their own building, if the tenant pays it or the landlord pays it, I need all of the operating expenses. Cause it really is just, what does it cost to operate the building? Um, so Triple net leases mean that you as a tenant pay all the expenses for the building. They're all passed through. So the $25 is your base rent. The triple net charges include um, your premises electricity that you pay on your own, your janitorial that you pay on your own, your pro rata share if you are in a multi-tenant building um, of building insurance, property taxes, and then all the costs that it, that it requires for the, to maintain the building, which is like snow removal, trash (laughs) removal, snow removal, um, roof repair, like all Mm -hmm. of this stuff. And so, you know, um, like common grounds, like if there's a common bathroom, then you have a percent you share with the other tenants, right? Pest control, all of that. Um, so, 
So all now, of who that triggers that? Who triggers that? If the landlord says, listen, you got bugs, you got to clean them up. And you say, well, I pay for it. I'm not going to do it. How does that work? So again, it depends. So sometimes <laughs> the triple net, it, it, it is. Of course That's why it you does. Need to, you have to have someone that asks all these questions and knows the questions to ask. Cause, right. Cause if so what, know, so if you're representing the tenant. What would you say? Right. How would you, how would you want that? So, so, so you ask, the, so some landlords want to have you as the tenant just do everything or some landlords want to manage it themselves and they will they will pay for the costs and then bill you back on a monthly basis so they'll make a budget for a year every every month you'll get a line item for your base rent and then your operating expenses that you have to pay typically electricity you get in your own name so that's that's a non-issue and then janitorial you contract directly with a janitorial sure. company but everything else, the um, sometimes the landlord will pay. They do a budget that they present to you at the, at the beginning of the year for what they anticipate the cost will be, and then they budget. They they bill you monthly according to that budget. And they're supposed to in the beginning of the year, um, sometime in the beginning of the year, they do reconciliation. So then they take the actual expenses and then they reconcile them against the budgeted expenses. And if there's an overage, it meaning that you overpaid then they'll um pay they'll pay you back or a credit on your or your account or however there's different again you have to read your lease or um if you haven't paid enough they're going to bill you for what the deficit okay so let's say a person is still waffling rent on they go into rent what if they say i want to rent but i'm thinking i want to buy this what what would some of the things that you would look for or advise them to do? It's like rent to own. Would it be a right of first refusal? What are some of the things that you would suggest to your client who is now in a 10-year lease? But really, when they go in, they're thinking, I'm going to do all this. I think I want to be able to buy this. And, and the landlord may have an interest in it. So what, what were some of the things you would want to put in? Well, first you have to ask the owner, do you want to carry, you know, do you want it to be a rent to own type of thing? Do you want to carry, um, or, you know, so carry, you want... carry means hold the mortgage, the hold the mortgage. Yeah. So that basically if it's rent to own, then, you know, there would be some sort of agreement that, you know, that you have to pay a certain, you know, a certain amount that goes towards a purchase price so you, that you negotiate. Right. So this is in the rent to own situation, right? right? So you're renting it and you're saying, okay, I'm paying 800, you know, $6,000 a month in rent. I, I want a thousand dollars to go towards the ownership or the principal, right? Something so, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I mean, that's too simple, variety. but something like yeah, that. That's, I think they would probably want a little bit more than that, but um, yeah, but there's different scenarios and it all depends. I mean, so this is why real estate is imperfect and it's, every transaction is different. So you have to start by saying, do you want to carry um, or do you, you know, can we put an option, you know, can we negotiate a purchase price where they get an option? Or if you do get a, um, an offer, they get the first right of refusal to match the offer. Um, but typically I would recommend instead of going through all of that, unless you have some real credit issues, you guys can go to a bank, especially these regional banks, um, and get pretty good terms for yourself. That's probably a lot better than what a landlord or owner would give you. Mm -hmm. 
So what? So they. So what would you? Your advice then would be. Um, so let's talk about not the rent to own because that's probably not as common. But let's talk about the right of first refusal. Person, uh, or they plan on. Listen, I want to buy this after ten years. Um, we'll get the building of prey. What are some of the things that you'd put in there that would be protective or wise for that potential new owner? So I don't do a lot of these because um, I, in the in commercial side, sometimes people don't plan to hold the building that long. But if they were and they wanted to entertain this type of structure, you would you would typically go ahead and yeah, because in ten years it'd be hard to guess what the purchase price was. You you would do an appraisal. Um, you would do an appraisal, but appraisals are a little challenging um, in the medical world because the value of of a building is you as the tenant and the and the cash flow that you're paying with your lease rate. And I've seen these appraisals, and they do um, they do the income approach. But if I were to sell the building kind of, so they call them sale leasebacks. So if you were to put a new 10-year lease in on a building, I could sell that to an investor. And typically, you know, and the the lease rate is a mark is market lease rate. Um, but I find that appraisers have a some appraisers have a challenging time figuring out what a market lease rate is for a dentist. So you mm -hmm. have to factor in a, a lot of things and it's not a perfect science because if you were to go and lease new space versus second generation space that you've been in, um, the lease rate would be higher. Also, you know, if you, so it gets it gets complicated, and I don't know if I can simplify it um, because well, I, don't I, I guess I, I mean let me try to let me just say yeah. listen I'm I'm gonna rent this space. I've been here for ten years, you know. Now I'm gonna get another. I want another five year lease, but I want to I want to purchase this after five years, right? So at some point you got to have an evaluation of what the what the property's worth, right? So the owner would get evaluation, the the tenant would get an evaluation, and if they're close, would you know just yeah, and then it's a negotiation. I mean, that's the best you can do in that type of situation. Um, is that you know both maybe both get a separate appraisal, and then they you know see what see what the appraisal says, um, or you do kind of like a first offer where you know. If they get an offer, you get a first right to meet match that amount um, mm -hmm. would be, you know, an option there. But I I kind of see that I I don't typically see these. I see the decision of rent to own being made kind of up front. But th it's a lot of negotiation. Um, but let's say let's say the person goes in for ten years. They're not sure. They're overwhelmed. They just got their ten ten year lease to just, you know, in their mind, cover my, my leasehold improvements. And then they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better. than I thought here, it'd be nice if I own the building. Mm -hmm. So enter into some type of negotiations. Maybe it's in year eight of the, of the 10 year lease and says, listen, I'd like to purchase the practice. Mm -hmm. What would some of the things that they would want to do? Um, so you would, 
you'd want to hire a really good broker. I, I'd say that that's the first thing because the broker can get you um, comps, comparables in the market. I think that would be the probably the best thing for- That'd be a buyer broker, correct? Correct. Okay. You, you want somebody to represent you because it's this if the owner, so the owner, you can always, you know, is likely knows these things and they don't, you know, they're negotiating on their behalf. They're not going to necessarily share these with you um, because it puts them in a, you know, they're, it, it challenges their negotiating position and they're going to want you to come up with, you know, they'll probably say, great, make me an offer. So, you know, if you do, um, similar pro comparable properties. And I would say doing it at two years before your lease is up is a really good time frame because then they can be like, well, if I don't do this, then they might move. So that might be, you know, something for them to consider, but you need to get comparables of sale comparables in the market for other medical buildings. Or, you know, if you're also, you know, in a kind of a retail setting, you have to do look at the retail office medical and sort of do a little bit of a mix and then come up with, um, you know, a price that you want to propose. Okay. And then so, start there. All right. So we're, I, I was going to go over landlords, but I think we covered, you know, a fair bit of both sides. Cause when you talk renter, you can't help but talk what the landlord does, you know? <laughs> um, so let's talk about completely different now. Let's say, okay, I'm the dentist. I've purchased the building. You've helped me. Thank you very much. And I'm happy. And I'm like, hey, this is pretty smart. Now I want to buy another one. I want to as I want to invest in commercial real estate that's professional, medical, dental, legal, accountants, whatever. I want to invest in something like that. What are some of the things that you would advise a person to do? Um so again, it depends. So let's say you're you're looking at a five million dollar asset plus or minus. Do you want to do higher than that? Because $5 million is probably one or two tenants, probably easy to get your head around. Um, hopefully has some good cash flow with those tenants. And do you want to buy something with tenants in it? Or do you want to buy something that like there's one tenant and then there's a vacant space? You know, you can get those cheaper. And then, you know, then you fill the space with a tenant and you enjoy the cash flow, but you you know, you haven't paid, you haven't paid what it would, what you would have to, if the building was a hundred percent leased. So a lot of it has to, again, to do with budget, um, and how much time you want to put into the building. Cause if you, if you want something that's relatively turnkey, that doesn't need, it's just like buying a house. If you want something that you don't have to put it, that, that's newer, you don't have to put a lot of maintenance in, and then you don't have to lease up then you buy something newer and you pay more for it. If you're looking, if you, you know, you're like, you know, I want to get something that maybe isn't A, but B minus, and then I'll bring it up to an A. But to do that, you're going to have to maybe redo the parking lot, maybe redo the roof, paint the building, redo the landscaping. Um, and then, then you become the landlord and to attract tenants, you have to offer tenant improvements. So, you know, you, have, you put the different hat on as a landlord and you have to you make sure that you have that kind of capital in order to attract the tenants at the lease rate that you're wanting to get. What What are some of the numbers like if person is, they're looking to purchase, see, you're in Scottsdale, I'm in Binghamton, so our, 
that bad. Our, our total numbers are quite different. But yeah, let, let me share very, that with it you. Is geographically <laughs> super dependent, and um, and Rashawn is in Oklahoma City, and it's completely different there. So. Right? Yeah, it is. So that's why you need local brokers. So you have yeah. to have a local broker because they know your market, and um, and then there's also licensing issues. You know, mm-hmm. I can't do a, I can't do a deal in your market mm-hmm. without a local broker. So and nor should I. So, um, you know, it's very, I mean, this is where real estate is very geographically dependent. It's very Mm -hmm. product type dependent, location dependent. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are so many issues and then you can have, you can have a, a ugly looking building in a great location. That's really expensive because of the location. And then you can have a cheap building that's beautiful in a remote location. (laughs) So there's, The beauty well, about real estate is that it is, it is, um, you know, there, you, you can try your best to, to, to make it general, but it, it is not, it's very specific. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm in your neck. I'm in Scottsdale. I'm looking, what are some of the numbers that a real, a, a savvy real estate investor would look at? So I'm looking at a fully occupied commercial space to, you know, to purchase it. What are some of the numbers that you would you would like to see that make sense for a new owner or a new investor? New investor. So, which hat am I on? Which hat am I putting on? Which hat? Do you uh, want me to put you, on? You, listen, the dentist is chickening out, so you're going to buy it yourself. So, what are some <laughs> of the things? So, you see it as a good investment. So, what are some of the things you'd like to see in terms of what the numbers stack out to be? Well, I want to be able to get it for a competitive price so that, you know, I can have some room for unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, so competitive make- meaning in terms of comparables, right? So you check the comps and you want this comparables to be. And then I would go under the comparables because it you have to, as an investor you have to factor in the risk that maybe the mm-hmm. tenant won't stay so there's a vacancy factor that you have right. to consider you have to consider that just like owning it there's going to be a plumbing issue in Arizona we have HVACs we have to make sure that you know in the middle of July that you can pay the extra money for the guy to come out to your building because all the ACs go out in July and then um you know, it depending on the condition of the parking lot. So you want to tour the building and really understand the guts of the building. You mm-hmm. want to make sure you understand the electrical. You want to understand um, all the infrastructure of the building to see, you know, if you, again, to know what you're buying so that. So, the, if, so this was the point you said about a person buying a practice and, 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 and the uh, real estate due diligence. That's exactly right. So, you know, typically people get, if they, I mean, if they have an inspector they like, but if they don't know an inspector, they'll get two different inspections. And it's sometimes interesting to see the difference. Um, And then, you know, the title company will do what's called an Alta survey. Um, Uh If you, if you, if the dentist, if, if the current owner thinks the building is one size, and you think it's another and it's enough a discrepancy to make a difference, you probably want to get it field measured so that you pay for exactly what you're supposed to be paying for and not over, you know, for something you know, not because there can be 
few hundred square feet of difference in small buildings and thousands of square feet of difference in bigger buildings. Um, so you, so, you know, really doing the due diligence and making sure um, in that case, you know, I would have a already discussed lease terms with the, with the dentist that wants to go in and make sure I understand what Mm -hmm. income that that property is going to generate. So great due diligence. Now, what about on the number side? So let's take a $3 million property that's comps, or let's say, I don't know, 3.2, 3.3, and and you're going to try to get it at three. Is that something? Yeah. What what are some of the rents that you want to see? Like what's the kind of the income that helps make that make sense? Yeah, or so for a bank, what would a bank loan? Like, what does a bank want to see for you to, to borrow to buy something like that? Well, you'd probably have to put, so, I mean, just like, you, so if it's like a $3 million building, they're going to want to see. So on the commercial side, they typically, depending on, you know, they'll want to see. Um, you know, at least 25% down. Um mm-hmm. And then, you know, the interest rates are not as, you know, they're a little bit higher than they are in residential. So, and that just depends on the banking relationship. So what you're asking me is very specific questions that are, that are very dependent on a lot of other factors. So there's not Mm -hmm. a one size fits all. And I know you're, I know, I know what you're trying to do and trying to press, but, um, no, just trying to get like, a, just trying to get a, just, just an idea. Yeah. So, I mean, that's helpful. So 25% like 65, down. 35, 65, 35 loan to value, you know, anywhere from 65, 35 to 75, 25. It just depends on the, it depends on your credit, your, your track record as a commercial investor and your banking relationship. And then so, you'll, oh, go ahead. No, when you say loan to value, so you're saying, the value of the property and how much they're going to loan you, like 75% of the value versus 65% of the value. Is that what you meant by that? Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. No, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's an interesting area. There's, there's people thousand percent smarter than me that, that, and you know, (laughs) you for sure. And everybody else too is way, way, you know, it's just getting some of that to someone who may have a little taste for it and just getting them some, some education. That's all I'm looking to. Yeah. I mean, the financial analysis on a commercial building gets pretty complex. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's pretty detailed, um, you, you know, rent rolls, 10 year cash flow, discounted cash flow models that gets pretty complex. And there's, there's a lot of factors that go into that um, in order to get people mm-hmm. the numbers that they need in order for a deal to make sense for them. And one, a deal that makes sense for one person doesn't make sense for another mm-hmm. based on some of the inputs that they put into those financial models. And these financial models, I mean, some of these larger companies, their financial models are so unbelievably sophisticated and fine-tuned um, that, you know, it, it's amazing to see. And then, um, you know, but for for your audience, their buildings are or, you know, they're not going to be the 50,000 square foot, 20 tenant, 20 plus tenant buildings. I mean, they're going to be maybe three or four tenants at the most mm-hmm. and, and most of the time standalone. So analyzing theirs, um, you know, can be easy, easy for them to understand because they don't, mm-hmm. they're not going to be, you know, given this incredibly sophisticated, you know, financial detail. It's just going to be their cash flow based on 
you know, their discount rates and some of their personal investment goals. And it's, and you put those together. So two questions to wrap up one uh, on this vein, approximately how much time do you see due diligence taking for a project like we're talking about? Cause it's, you have to get a lot of information. You've really got to do your research besides that. Don't, don't you want like the financials on the, and, and the history on the property and, Absolutely. you know, uh, kind of just give somebody an idea. Oh, because uh, everything sounds rosy, but when you say, "Listen, you got to spend six months of pouring over details and going to town and looking up," right? I mean, etc. Just, just give a well, little bit of a concept. Six months, of that. yeah. So you're not going to get six months. So typically, you know, if I am the seller, I'm going to ask for a 30 day, and I, you know, the building's pretty easy. I'm going to ask for a 30 day due diligence and a 30 day close period. If okay. you're buying the building and I'm representing you, I'm going to ask for 60 day due diligence and 30 mm-hmm. day close. Um, so you have somewhere between 30 and 60 days to work with, depending on how the negotiation goes. That is why you need to, you know, I would say, I know that people like try, I know people try to save on brokerage fees. And I will tell you that the amount that the broker makes and the amount of work that the, a broker should be doing more than pays for itself for you because they can be the ones that, um, you know, they can recommend ins- inspectors, they can call the inspectors, they can recommend um, engineers if need be, you know, they can recommend real estate attorneys for you to work with, um, the title company, you know, all of these things, they can really put a good team together for you so that, you know, the, if it, and that's, if it's a condo, all the HOA documents, the attorney can review all of those. Um, the, you know, the, the engineering reports and all of that will, will come to you. And, you know, this team of people can really review this information and, and give you advice. But it's a it's a deep dive. It's not just oh you know listen I got eight thousand dollars a month coming in rent. My mortgage is going to be twelve, yada yada. It's not that. It's way past that. So yeah, and if you I don't do clear. it, it's expensive. <laughs> right. It's typically yeah. ex- very expensive. Yeah. So, so it's really buyer beware. And if you know yeah. you get what you get, it's it's. I tell you what, it doesn't matter what you're in, what you put into it generally is what you get out of it. And if you're going right. to put in a half-ass job, you're probably going to get. Right. A lot of exposure to parts of your anatomy that shouldn't be out there. And it's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> right. And having reserves for those, you know, unforeseen things that, you know, even the, doing the best due diligence doesn't uncover, Yeah, you know, you never know, you know, lightning yeah. can strike. and Yeah. Because yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> on, on the dentistry side, we've, we've had dentists that have retired and we bought their practice and we've seen everything from a practice that was maintained well to a practice that literally had scotch tape and paper clips holding half of the things together. So, right. you know, and, and I've gotten lazy on a couple where I really didn't do my due diligence as deeply as I should have. And one, we were a little surprised. The other one, we, we kind of just escaped a couple of bigger things. So, I can't agree with you more. And I, I, I really appreciate your expertise and that we could keep going because I've got yeah. a ton more things to go into, but I know you got to go. So my last question, if you have a minute or two, is nothing to do with anything we talked about. So I ask everybody this. 
If you could go back in time to anywhere, any place, where would you go and why? Oh, my goodness. See? It's no real estate. It's no triple Yeah, and someone asked me this question So uh, at a dinner party. So I have <laughs> one that I have answered before, but I would probably, there's, there's a, quite a few. I mean, I would love to have a conversation with Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. Um, but, you know, Queen Victoria, people don't understand. So she, the amount of children that she had, I think at one point, um, there was a monarch in every country. And she... I think her husband ended up dying. Yeah. So, so she, I mean, she, she ran, you know, she was this amazing monarch and then she had all these children that went to rule like all over Europe. So I think that'd be fascinating to have a conversation with her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's doc properties. There it goes. It's expanded. It's taken over the whole West coast. It's moving East. I can see it right now. So listen, I really appreciate Appreciate you and your time very much, Trish. Thank you very much. I'm going to put on our our podcast show notes, um, you know, a lot of information that your team shared with us. And if anybody is in the Scottsdale, Tempe, Phoenix, Arizona area, which is a beautiful part of the world, a couple of my really good friends out there, Howard Ferran, Tom Jacoby, you know, et cetera. Danny Shays lives out there. Just some great friends of mine. So, um I will put all that stuff in the show notes if they want to reach out to you. Uh, and again, in any capacity, leasing, renting, owning, investing, you name it, you're the person to talk to. So I appreciate you very much. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to the fee for service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also be sure to join our fee for service dentistry, Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.